This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 117, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, November the 6th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 117, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, November the 6th. I am your host, Adam Chapman. Welcome to the show. Uh, this week, once again, the uh, episode is going up late on Tuesday, uh, so getting kind of the tail end of uh, last week's comics. Um, did have a lot of opportunities this past week to read a lot of books. Uh, however, I think uh, come Christmas time that might start to change, as I believe I am going to, I, should, I hope to be receiving or getting uh, an iPad Mini this year, which will make uh, reading comics uh, on my way to and from work a lot more easily easy. So it means I'll be able to read more books and hopefully talk about more books in the podcast so i'm really excited about that um when i went through the list of all the books to read this week i found that because i've fallen behind in a bunch of books um there's a bunch of books where i didn't really feel like just kind of jumping in and not knowing what was going on or others that i just had no real interest in even reading at all um so we'll get to that in a second anyways comics i did look at i believe there's about eight of them a little bit smaller than the usual week uh first up is action comics number 25 um, this wasn't like it wasn't I guess quote unquote bad, but it really wasn't that good either. Um, sorry, it wasn't great. It was I gave it a seven out of ten. So I mean, it's again, it, it's it's middle of the road. Um, a little bit better than total middle of the road. Um, so it's a zero year tie into the current Batman storyline, which uh, is a little distracting if you don't have been reading zero year or don't or if, like me have fallen a little bit behind on it. Then it's kind of like, well, why is this even? Happening, I feel like action comics and Superman in general, uh, as a title, as a as a franchise, hasn't really had a good sense of direction in a while, or at least a direction that a lot of people seem excited about. Obviously, Batman has a very strong lead book in the, the Snyder Batman, even though right now it's it's uh, in the past. And then you have a lot of other books, which I mean, Detective Comics has been a, a good read, so it feels like there's a little bit more of a sense of identity in the Bat books, whereas Superman feels like there's a real identity crisis. No pun intended. Um, uh, no reference n- meant, but I mean, it just feels like there's a a lot of kind of things going on that it's being pulled in a lot of different directions, and there's nothing that's been that strong to really ground it. Um, this uh, this issue is written by Greg Pak, um, and it's uh, illustrated by I can't quite find the name of the artist involved. Um, let me just check the cover here. I hope it's correct, because we had that period where there was no one on the cover. Uh, Aaron Cooter on art. Uh, I found the artwork not that great. Um, I thought the the Pac script was actually relatively strong, because we have this... It's still young Superman. He's still kind of figuring things out. You see him kind of... No, I, there's a, a line of dialogue I like where he's like, this is what I should be doing. I should be patting a kid on the head. I should be kind of being the kind of so, the more classic version of Superman everyone knows, as opposed to this younger, more flawed Superman. And here we have Superman kind of making a difference uh, off the uh, coast of Gotham. Um, basically, it, it's a relatively simple issue, but it's him kind of going in the water, uh, trying to uh, stop this this storm that's going to hit Gotham. And uh, it, it, it's a little bit more than just he can handle. Um, and he's not, and he's not quite. And he, and he also pre- basically ends up saving a lot of land because he's trapped on this freighter that's in the middle of this giant mess. Um, it's it's relatively a simple issue to read because there's not a lot going on. It's just Superman struggling against, you know, the certain odd, and he's not doesn't yet have the powers that we expect from Superman. He's not fully powered yet. 
uh, but he's defending people, and uh, the idea, I guess it's that he's, you know, the Stormbreaker, helps to break this storm. Um, I actually thought the issue was relatively good. Um, the backup lunch break by Greg Pak with our work by Scott McDaniel and Aaron Cooter, on the other hand, I didn't really like it. Um, I don't know, and part of that is the McDaniel artwork was really sloppy. Uh, it used to be a lot tighter. Uh, it's just not the same anymore. And even the artwork by Cooter, not the greatest artwork for a Superman story. Uh, at times, it was kind of lacking. Uh, which is unfortunate, but, you know, the the Pac script, at least on the main story, was fairly interesting. Um, again, it, it doesn't really have anything to do with what might may or may not be happening in current Superman books, but um, it does have a nice flavor to it. I'm wondering when it gets collected, where, how this action comics is even going to be collected, because there's been some recent kind of tie-ins or crossovers with the regular Superman book. Um, now it's having a zero-year tie-in to something that's happening in the Bat books. Um, thankfully the story is relatively simple so that even though you haven't been reading the Bat books uh, you don't feel like you're totally lost uh, all you really need to know is a storm is going towards Gotham, there's no power in Gotham and here comes Superman to try and help uh, solve part of the problem which is this giant storm that's bearing down on Gotham uh, so that is the first book that we're going to look take a look at uh, next is going to be Amazing X-Men number 1 probably the largest and most important X-Launch in a little while at least Anyways, uh, so Amazing X-Men number one by Jason Aaron and the uh, the fantastic Ed McGinnis. As I said, this is one of the most highly uh, touted um, kind of launches of uh, the current... I, it's not technically all new Marvel now, but it, I mean, it's definitely a, a, a very... Ex- Sorry. People have been very excited about this launch. It's the return of Nightcrawler to the X-Men universe. He's obviously been off the board since Second Coming um, when he was killed off. Not relatively needlessly, to be honest. Uh, so, I mean, people have been excited that he's going to be coming back. Um, hopefully, and because Jason Aaron's writing it, hopefully we'll also get an answer to the question about the Banffs, which we kind of get a glimpse into here, but we don't quite know how that works yet. Um... It's by Jason Aaron with artwork by Ed McGinnis, as I mentioned before. Ed McGinnis is uh, an amazing penciler, and uh, he really brings something special to this book. In fact, you know, you read the first couple of pages, and you kind of see what the character has been, and then we get this uh, beginning where he's like, he's kind of, he's somewhere, somewhere beyond the realm of the flesh, and he's in the, you know, in the, he's still got this kind of classic look. He's got the the robes, etc. And he's being told that he can he can kind of move on. He's on the edge of paradise, but he can move forward. Um, and then you have these monsters showing up, and he kind of defends this uh, this angelic character who he's with. And he ends up getting his hands on two swords, and he's quite the swashbuckler, obviously. Uh, and there's this great page or, or panel or a large panel that uh, that uh, McGinnis illustrates where even though his characters are a little bit chunkier, he doesn't make his Nightcrawler too chunky. And it's this great shot of Nightcrawler on this branch. He's uh, in the classic Nightcrawler pose. He's got his tail whipping around him, and he's got two swashbuckling swords in his hands. And these are some really nice parts where he's kind of... uh, And then this is something I don't think we see often. You have this great illustration of how McGinnis wants to show how Nightcrawler's powers work. So you have... You know, a foot coming out of a bamf cloud and attacking this this uh, this animal with a thud, uh, and this is how he kind of is handling his his bamfing abilities. And I think that is such a cool idea. Uh, there's a, a the right before he gets the uh, the swords. There's a great page where you see like him bamfing out and punching someone. Then you see him bamfing, 
and there's a t- um, uh, a dialogue box coming out of it as he like punches someone and then he's in a different space punching someone else. It really makes you think of and remember uh, the uh, the great opening sequence to X2 where Nightcrawler, really really get to see how awesome Nightcrawler can work on screen. And this is really kind of recapturing that moment but uh, in the print medium. And then Azazel shows up who's apparently now a pirate. I don't know what's up with that. I don't remember a lot about the Draco, and I don't think a lot of people want to. Uh, but this looks really different, and he's got some red vamps around him as well. And the vamps are vamps are there to kill, and they attack uh, Nightcrawler, and uh, Nightcrawler and um, Azazel have a bit of a, a showdown, and then Azazel disappears, and uh, you have this kind of, gl- and then you kind of glimpse into the now, and you have Allison Blair showing up in a very kind of Kitty Pryde-ish moment where she kind of shows up at the school to be a teacher I guess and everyone's kind of odd and awkward and she kind of thinks like this is one of the weirdest things ever and she kind of sees everyone kind of overreacting and I don't know I on the one hand it's kind of cool to bring Daz uh, not Dazzler sorry Firestar in I think I called it Dazzler Firestar it's nice to bring her in but it isn't given a lot of waiting and then she kind of throws out her costume and joins everyone else and it just it feels like this could have just been an arc in uh, in Wolverine and the X-Men, the way that Aaron's writing it. Because if you haven't been reading that book, you're kind of thrown into the deep end and not really getting what's going on. Um, especially with the BAMPs. Although, really, if you've been reading that book all the way through, you still don't know what the BAMPs are. And uh, so they, they're trying to figure out what this device is that the BAMPs have put together. And then these red BAMPs come out of it. And um, we have, you know, basically... Uh, it looks like Wolverine and Northstar get teleported to the same, some, you know, to the other world or to the afterlife, who knows. And then uh, we have this giant, um, this giant boat, and they mention the Blue Elf, and uh, Wolverine's like, you don't think that could mean what we think it means. Anyways, it's not, it's a pretty good start. Um, I think that the, the illustrations by McGinnis are just fantastic uh the writing by jason aaron leaves a little bit to be desired it's why i was going to give it only going to give it a seven out of ten because i found that the writing just could not match the artwork the artwork had a lot of energy and life into it and i felt like this was having a great time i found the writing by aaron to be a little lackluster and not nearly as exciting and uh i don't know it just it was lacking a certain oomph that i was expecting from it uh, next up is Captain America 13. Now, I don't think I read Captain America 12, but that being said, it was relatively easy to jump into the story, uh, having read most of the first year. That being said, I'm not a big fan of of this uh, of the artwork here. Um, the writing by Remender I found to be kind of bland. Um, we, I think we've had a nuke story not that long ago, and it just felt better than this. Um, they keep wanting to use nuke, and they... they each time it feels like they just forget that he's been used somewhere else recently um, or relatively recently uh, so Rick Remender wrote it with an artwork by Nick Klein I'm not a big fan of Nick Klein's artwork we have this flashback to a Winter Soldier versus I don't know some turn, uh, turncoat agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. back in in the past which kind of lead, has something to do with the Weapon Plus couldn't care less. Uh, I didn't really find it all that interesting. I like seeing Winter Soldier in the past, but that, that was about it. And I just it didn't really engage me all that well. And then you jump into the present, and you have uh, now I forget her name, but the the daughter of Zola, kind of uh, you know working on her own frustrations. And Sam's worried about uh, Captain America having gone through the, the loss of basically his son and Sharon Carter. Uh, and then him and Falcon go into uh, trying to fight Nuke, and that's basically what happens in this issue i found it kind of kind of drab 
the artwork I just really didn't like by Nick Klein, and Remender left a lot to be desired in his writing as well. Um, the characterization of Steve, by not having Steve really the main focus of most of the issue, you kind of lose that focal point that I think was important because you, the man has tra- suffered a tra- tragic loss. Let's see that. Let's see that through his eyes. Let's not just see that other people talking about it and kind of and uh, tiptoeing around the issue. I want to see it through his eyes, what he thinks. Um, anyway, so I gave it a, a 6 out of 10. That brings us to Detective Comics, and this is number 25. I really, really dug this. Uh, this was a zero-year tie-in. It didn't feel like the most organic in some ways because, again, I haven't. I think I'm an issue or two behind in zero-year, but I think the Gordon, as he's been depicted in zero-year, hasn't always felt like the Gordon here. That being said, uh, this issue was badass. John Lehman, I'm really loving his work in Detective Comics. He's done a really good job with the book. Uh, Jason Fabok, I really adore his artwork. Um, there's just something about the way he illustrates everyone. that's just really, really cool, badass. I love his Gordon. His Gordon is, uh, you know, he's he's a slightly younger version of the character we all know and love, but he's a little bit more badass at times because he's he takes more risks because he's back during a time when Gordon had to. We have Gordon kind of being roughed up by an internal affairs guy and people working for the black mask and then he gets dumped off a bridge and then he survives and uh and then he kind of escapes from that and he in the middle of everything you have this storm that's been coming in that was mentioned in action comics you have the redhead gangs kind of showed up and taken over you have the this mass vigilantes you know beating into them you have the the black mask gang as well now so you have two gangs of masks and you have a bit of a uh, kind of a recap of seeing what happened to see to, to, to lead uh, Gordon to being thrown off that bridge. Um, you see him dealing with corrupt cops, and, you know, kind of everyone's in on it. Uh, and then just when they think he's dead, it turns out he's not dead. And then he kind of, um, you have him kind of taking it to the gangs and ends up with uh, teaming up with Bullock. And a very young, uh, very fit-looking Bullock, which I was not used to seeing. Layman just does a really good job selling you on the story uh, of, you know, the the one good cop, or in this case, two good cops against, a, you know, an entire city of, of corrupt ones and kind of going up against the system. And I like the revelation that, you know, it's not just because he happened to be lucky enough to survive this fall, but truly it was Batman that uh, rescued him and uh, allowed him to survive. Um, yeah, so I, I really dug this issue. Um, Faybach, as I said, is a great artist. I really liked his portrayal of the characters. Uh, and of the setting and the mood of it all. Uh, although there's one shot where um, right after we first see Bullock and you have uh, Gordon standing there and he's got like a little bit of body armor on and I guess like some holsters around his legs and like a dark, uh, sorry, like a full trench coat. And honestly in that shot like he looks like if you took off the face and you put on Gambit's face it would actually almost fit. Or like Nick Fury, like he looks almost too built, too badass for just Gordon. Uh, not that Gordon can't be awesome. Um... And it was yeah, you know, it's this is really really well done, and very entertaining, and uh, you got a little bit of a, a nice look here that you know that uh, a glimpse into how eventually he'd end up deciding to use the um, the uh, the bat signal instead of just a flashlight that what he basically uses here to summon assistance. Um, so this this is probably the best book I read this entire week, um, and I gave it a nine out of ten. That's the first four books. Now we roll into the back four, uh, which includes Earth 2, number 17, Forever Evil, number 3, Iron Man 18, and Longshot Saves the Marvel Universe. So uh, let's get started on the back four. 
First up, we have none other than Earth 217. Uh, so I believe this is the, and I can please someone correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is the first non-Damage Robinson issue of Earth 2. Um, that being said, it definitely has a different flavor to it, especially in terms of the focus. Because uh, obviously the first 16 issues were very heavy on the focus on the New Wonders, uh, Green Lantern, and Friends. Uh, this issue definitely has a very different focus. Um, now, I have not been reading the Injustice comic, uh, digital comic tie-ins uh, from Tom Taylor, so I don't know a lot about him as a writer, but he's been making a lot of buzz lately. So he wrote this issue with uh, Nicholas Scott continuing to provide the artwork, which provides some consistency. Um, so the issue starts very simply with Superman basically uh, having returned, but he's not the Superman who disappeared back in... Um, Earth 2 number 1, and now he's working for Darkseid, and he even starts the issue saying, all hell Darkseid, as he's now the, uh, quote-unquote, as the herald for the greatest of evils. Uh, so he returns, and he's killing people pretty quickly. Uh, we see, I believe, only one shot of um, Green Lantern, where he gets punched in the face by Superman, and that seems to be it for him for the rest of the issue. Then you have a cool shot of, uh, of um, what's his name? Uh, the Flash trying to rescue everyone on the ground uh, from what's been going on. And then you see, I forget his name now, but the, that uh, the new god, or not new god, yeah, I guess the new god, the god, the character from Apocalypse who's been, you know, uh, making all the problems in the last couple issues is instantly killed in one shot, which kind of feels like, again, it feels like a very different way of reading the book because we go from it being one thing to something completely different. And maybe this is what Robinson was going to go with it, but... It definitely doesn't feel like a Robinson story because suddenly the story is shifting and changing. Um, we go from it being about, you know, about you know the new wonders to suddenly being more of a Superman-centric story with him gone rogue. We have, I guess, Lois Lane of this universe now being the Red Tornado, which is not what I would have expected, and I'm, I'm sure not what uh, James Robinson originally planned. Um, Superman is laying waste and ripping people apart. Uh, he's like rips one guy apart, like his entire body uh, apart. We have um, the World Army kind of trying to figure out what to do. Mister Terrific's trying to assist in a way. They realize that Khalid needs to summon the power of Doctor Fate to even have a shot against Superman. Um, you have Batman showing up as well. Uh, I, and again, this he already feels very different than the handful of appearances he already had under James Robinson. Um, I do like the fact that Dr. Fate's kind of having to deal with, like, the fact that he doesn't think that he can do this. Uh, the fact that Superman was like, I was waiting for you, you think I couldn't talk, think he couldn't hear you talking about me in there. And he kind of really started laying, laying it into, uh, Dr. Fate, um, which was, you know, kind of brutal. Um, just seeing just what Superman could do unleashed. Uh, especially against Dr. Fate, who's one of the lone chances against him. And then you have, uh, the Flash running in and saving his life. And uh, you have Khalid starts mumbling about a lot of different stuff, which I'm sure is some sort of portent, but we don't really know what it is yet. And then uh, I guess Flash deciding that he's going to kind of take things over to uh, Superman. And uh, you have Red Tornado having survived this destruction, um, but it looks like her father is passing away. Um, so I have to see what, what she does now as a Red Tornado, which is like really, really weird even to think about. Um, and then we have, again, Batman, uh, this new Batman kind of figure, trying to uh, 
figure out what to do and he's basically saying criminals and madmen might be the only hope against Superman in this case because he's just he's he's way too powerful um, I enjoyed it I mean it, again it definitely felt very different from everything James Robinson had been doing um, I didn't like it nearly as much as this as the stuff that Robinson had been writing so I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 but it was still an enjoyable read and that brings us to Forever Evil number 3 I gave this about a 6 and I think maybe I scored it too high it just feels very the story is alright, but it's very kind of slow and plotting at times. Um, so we have this issue starting, and we have it's written by Jeff Johns, artwork by uh, David Finch. So we have a flashback to what happened when the CSA first showed up. Now, the artwork here is atrocious. It's not very good. Uh, it's not very well done. I was really surprised and shocked throughout the issue that it's just not very entertaining. Uh, now, it would appear that uh, the death storm uh, affected Firestorm and the Matrix kind of swallowed up every hero. So it appears that that is where they have all gone to and have vanished to, which is, to be honest, a little bit more, a little bit boring compared to what I think, what I thought might be the case. I thought they might be on a different Earth or something like that. Instead, that's not what's happening. Uh, we spent a lot of time in Detroit with Batman and Catwoman bringing what remains of Cyborg to uh, Cyborg's dad. And uh, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on next. And they know that something's going on with Nightwing. Uh, Nightwing may or may not be dead. And uh, Catwoman's like, who is he? And Batman's like, he's a friend. Uh, and then we go back to Lex Luthor. And he's have this weird kind of, I don't know, not soliloquy. But this is weird moment with the Bizarro. And it's just a lot of exposition. And it's not that good. And uh, we are. it definitely helps progress like what we've seen in Justice League where... Ultraman is, you know, decking Black Adam. Black Adam is trying to use the Shazam word against Ultraman. Again, the artwork is atrocious during these panels. And uh, Ultraman's like, you're trying to hurt me with words. Uh, no more words for me. It breaks Black Adam's face. And he's, like, dumping him in the water. Um, the artwork here is just surprisingly pale. It's, it's not pale. It's just not what I've ever expected from uh, David Finch. It's just not nearly the best. Uh, you have Lex Luthor wondering why Superman's avoiding sunlight. You have, um, from the forever evil, I guess, Rogue's Rebellion tie-in, we see Captain Cold and the Rogues facing off against Deathstorm and Green Lantern. Uh, Green Lantern, you know, it's interesting that uh, his, his, his ring is very, like, freaked out half the time. And uh, it's also interesting that Black Adam, sorry, not Black Adam, Green Lantern is just such a weird, like he's he's everything that the regular one isn't. So he's not, he's very um, fearful and kind of gutless. And the ring is kind of instead of being kind of a calm, calming presence, it's more of a, like a kind of a dick. The ring's a dick. Um, anyways, it's interesting to see what goes on here because Deathstorm kind of undoes something that I didn't like, which is kind of takes the metahuman gene right or the changes that Black uh, Captain Cold has had done to him away from him. And now he's kind of back to being a regular human being. You have every, all the rogues trying to escape in the mirrors, and then uh, Power Ring shatters it. And now uh, they can't, they can't, like something is wrong. Mirror Master cannot uh, figure out a way to control the, the portals, and he can't go and get uh, Captain Cold. So Captain Cold has to try to figure out what's, what the hell is going on, and uh, he ends up finding uh, Bizarro and. Lex Luthor, right around the same time that Lex Luthor meets with Black Manta, who has saved um, 
uh, uh, Black Adam, and you have this team kind of banding together. So it's a variety tag team of Captain Cold, Bizarro, Black Manta, and Lex Luthor over uh, Black Adam's body. Really messed up and interesting. Um, Again, the story at times is stronger than the art, but sometimes the art is atrocious. That's not even a hard feat. I'm going to give it a 6. And next up is Iron Man 18. I gave this a six and a half out of ten. I found it kind of bland. Kind of bland. Uh, I actually did not read the last issue. I know enough, know enough about it, um, and I don't really like the implications of it. Uh, this issue kind of builds off from that. Now it starts off with kind of a future idea, basically a simulation of what would happen if Arno and Tony kind of teamed up and uh, worked. And it shows what the, a future that they work on is kind of ends up in, and then until they're. Uh, their creation, their basically the uh, the original robot, the recorder, kind of that AI kind of turns against them, and then they end up dying. Basically, um, I don't know where this storyline's gonna go, but we'll see. Kieran Gillen's still writing it. Joe Bennett is penciling it. Um, I liked most of Joe Bennett's artwork, but it's not the best work from him I've ever seen. Uh, the whole Iron Metropolis thing is kind of interesting. Uh, but again, you have a lot of the issues spent basically on a simulation until they all die. And then, I just, I don't really feel the need for these two characters to even be bonding, or, I don't know, I don't like it that much. Um, I don't find myself that interested in it. Um, and again, like the a whole half of the issue doesn't happen, is not a real thing, so that kind of bugged me as well. Uh, I'm going to give it, a, as I said, a 6.5 out of 10, and that brings us to our last book, which is Longshot Saves the Marvel Universe. I was kind of excited by this. I thought it'd be really cool, kind of a fun, weird, you know, miniseries to star long shot. Like, how often does that to happen? Um, and I also liked um, that the Marvel Universe, um, the way that they wrote it on the on the cover was from like the, the old Hot Moves, the old uh, official handbook to the Marvel Universe, it had the same kind of font for Marvel Universe. So I liked that. Um, I don't know. I just thought this would be cool. You know, a fun little jaunt. It's written by Christopher Hastings, who I've never heard of before, and artwork by Jacopo Camagni, who I've also never heard of before. Um, and to be honest, I didn't much like it. Um, I didn't really enjoy what was going on, like the weird haircut Longshot gets. You have this weird kind of Tony and Tony, Tony Stark and Reed Richards uh, whole thing that's been going on as well. Um, you have this creature that's hunting down people who are lucky and killing them, you know, searching for Longshot. Um, I found this story really bland, really boring. Uh, it just kept going. Uh, by the end, I'd, I don't know. Just this, it didn't. I, the artwork didn't even do a good job of even selling Longshot's haircut, which sounds like a stupid comment, but surprisingly, they spend a lot of time on it and focusing on it. So I thought I would, I don't know, the artwork should reflect it more accurately or more uh, detailed. Uh, I just found, I found it was really bored, and I really don't have much to say about it than that. I mean, I'm going to give it a five out of ten because it has some potential at times, but. Most of the issue was pretty flat, unfortunately, and I it was it was just kind of a shame. I thought there'd be more to like. Um, I don't know the fact that they were actually doing a long shot book. I think it's like his second book ever. I thought it, I, I thought it had more potential than this. And then when we ended up getting it, I was just kind of like, well, that was really bland and boring, and not really what I had signed up for, to be honest, just by reading it. So I'm only going to give it a five out of ten. So the books I didn't get a chance to read include the following. Batman, Black and White, number three. Batman, Superman, five. Batwing, number 25, which I believe was a zero-hour, uh, sorry, zero-year tie-in. 
Uh, Captain Marvel 17, Cataclysm Ultimate's Last Stand number 1, Daredevil Dark Knights number 6, Phantom X number 2, Green Arrow 25, which I think is a zero-year tie-in as well, Green Lantern 25, I just totally fallen off that wagon. Hinterkind number 2, Marvel Knights Spider-Man number 2, Mighty Avengers 3, Movement number 6, Stormwatch number 25, Superman Unchained number 4, Swamp Thing 25, Trillium number 4, Trinity of Sin, The Phantom Stranger number 13, which is I believe a Forever Evil tie-in, and X-Men Legacy 19. Uh, looking forward to books coming out, well, technically, this is going to go online probably very late on the 12th or early on the 13th, so probably coming out either in a, you know in maybe 10 or 11 hours or just today uh, will be the following books, so I'll just kind of look at some highlights. Um, coming into trade, well, in the hardcover, we have the Aquaman hardcover, Volume 3, Throne of Atlantis, the Aquaman trade for Volume 2, which is The Others. You got Batgirl number twenty-five, which is a zero-year tie-in. Batman number twenty-five, obviously the zero-year. You have uh, what other books are coming out? Uh, we're going to be having uh, a DC Comics Essentials Green Lantern number one, new fifty-two version. You have Forever Evil Arkham War number two, Green Lantern Corps number twenty-five, which is also a zero-year focus on John Stewart. You got a Injustice, Injustice Gods Among Us Annual number one. You've got a Justice League of America number nine, which is a Forever Evil tie-in. Another new issue of Justice League of America's Vibe. You have a Katana issue of a Nightwing uh, 25, which is a zero-year uh, tie-in. Uh, you've got uh, a Red Lanterns trade for those who really can't stand the book, who can continue to not stand it. Um, looking at you, AJ Reese. Uh, you've got, uh, or actually, maybe that's the issues you liked. I can't remember. Suicide Squad number 25. We have Forever Evil tie-in. Uh, you got Superman Wonder Woman number two, and you have World's Finest seventeen. Those are all coming out, as well as the Swamp Thing Volume three uh, trade paperback, Rot World: The Green Kingdom. Uh, from I believe the uh, the image side, we have uh, Manhattan Project sixteen, so I'm excited about that coming out tomorrow. In the Marvel side, you have All New X Men eighteen, so it's the first ba- uh, post battle of, of the Atom crossover issue. You have Avengers Arena 17, which I believe is the last issue, or the second last. You have Captain America Living Legend 3, Cataclysm Ultimate Spider-Man number 1. You have, uh, wow, Essential Daredevil Volume 6. I have Volume 1, and then I just kind of fell off the wagon. Had no idea they're up to Volume 6. That's kind of crazy. You have the Hulk by Jeff Loeb Ultimate, sorry, uh, Hulk by Jeff Loeb Complete Collection Volume 1, which is exciting. You have... uh, Let's see, Marvel Masterworks, Marvel 2-in-1 Hardcover Volume 1, which is kind of badass. You have a new issue of Savage Wolverine. You have Superior Foes of Spider-Man number 5. Superior Spider-Man 21, which I'm excited about. Um, a Thor trade paperback I've never even heard of called Thor Sunlight and Shadows. You have the Warriors 3 Complete Collection. Uh, Wolverine trade paperback, Silver Tooth Reborn. X-Men Gold number 1. And a new uh, trade of X-Men Legacy. So that's everything we have look to look forward to tomorrow. Um, speaking of future episodes, we have episode 118 coming out in a couple days, and that will be the uh, Spotlight on Thor, the Dark World uh, episode that I do with um, Tibor Mate. We recorded it on, I guess, Friday, November the 8th, right after we watched Thor, the Dark World, so that's uh, another episode to look forward to. Not really sure what we're going to see next week uh, on the Even Number episode. It's altogether possible that I might uh, indulge myself and take a skip week, depending if I'm not able to get an episode recorded, but we will see what happens at that point. Uh, anyways, if you want to drop us an email, you can do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, or you can rate us and review us on iTunes, which is really helpful because it helps to grow the community for the show and hopefully uh, grow the audience as well. 
Anyways, thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Uh, thank you again for joining us for an episode of Comic Shenanigans. I always appreciate you joining me for the review episodes. Uh, I know they're a little bit more dull than the show episodes with uh, with guests, but uh, I do very much appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show and listen to my ram- the ramblings of a madman. And hopefully in the new year, I'll be able to start doing more reviews and not just you know eight or ten, whatever, have a chance to read. Uh, when I'm at home, but more uh, stuff I can read digitally uh, once I get hopefully an iPad. Um, Anyway, thank you again for joining me, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye!